What kind of difference can an excellent hospital board of directors make? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Jim Conway. Mr. Conway is chairman of the Partnership for Healthcare Excellence and senior vice president of the Institute of Healthcare Improvement in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mr. Conway, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Susan, thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you and your community. Please give us a board engagement and good governance 101. Well, most hospitals in the country are led by a board of trustees. The largest exception of this is the large federal hospitals and health systems. And these boards exist to represent the owners. And the owners, in the case of the public hospitals and not-for-profit hospitals in the country, are the communities, are the people who live in the communities. And in investor-owned hospitals, the board exists to represent the investors. Those investors are, in turn, are committed to serve their patients and consumers in the cities. The primary responsibility of boards of trustees is to assure the organization fulfills its mission, it has a strategy, it has top executive leadership who are capable and effective, it worries about finances, and the board of trustees also is responsible for the quality of care and services. What we have found in our work at IHI, working with great boards and governance groups across the country, is that the critical elements of an engaged board of trustees is a board that sets an aim. So in the case of the New York Health and Hospital Corporation, their board of trustees has set the aim to be the safest public hospital to receive care by January 1st of 2010. In the case of the Ascension Health System, they, as a 74-hospital system a few years ago, set an aim that by July 1st of 2008, they will have eliminated preventable harm in all 74 of their hospitals. So there is a very explicit public commitment to quality. The second thing that we've learned is that a great board is a board that gets data and hears stories. Within healthcare across the country today, there is the most extraordinary care and caring. As a health professional, I've had the privilege of being in awe of what goes on in healthcare organizations for over 40 years. Unfortunately, we've often only looked at one part of the equation the great stories, the exceptional research. In that process, we've often suffered from something referred to as the arrogance of excellence. You become so focused on the good things you do, you don't create space to talk about the realities of practice, the suffering, the harm, the tragedy, the waste that occurs in your organizations. A great board gets data, understands those realities, and hears stories from their patients, their families, their staff about failures. The third thing we've learned is a great board has a system to monitor what we call system-level measures or big dots, that they have a 
small group of organization-wide measures that they can look at to say, is their organization becoming better? Is it becoming safer? Not only compared to themselves, but compared to the best over time. There's a few other things that we've learned about a great board. The first is that they are committed to maintain an environment that's respectful, fair, and just for all who experience pain, whether it's patients, families, or the staff who are at the sharp end of error. And the final two are a great board is a board that's gone to school, that they have studied quality and safety. They've developed their capability as a board. They've learned how the best boards work with executive and medical staff leaders, and they've set an expectation for similar levels of education and training for all their staff. And finally, a great board holds the executive leadership and specifically the CEO accountable. They assure that the CEO and the board are overseeing the effective execution of a plan to achieve whatever the aims are that the board is setting. What challenges do boards face today? Well, I think some of the major challenges are the complexities of organizations. Peter Drucker, who is one of the most distinguished leaders in management, said that there is no organization in the world more complex than a healthcare organization. I think the second issue they have is understanding the language of healthcare. It is extraordinarily complicated, and most board members come to the board out of a sense of commitment to community, to say thank you for the community, but they're not people who understand the healthcare language. The third is how deeply do you engage? What is the most appropriate level of engagement for a board versus when are they getting into the hands of management? And I think the final area is this growing external accountability. It could be an accountability to regulatory agencies. It could be an accountability to the media and accountability to the public. There is many more, but I think those are some of the major ones. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Mr. Jim Conway, Chairman of the Partnership for Healthcare Excellence and Senior Vice President of the Institute of Healthcare Improvement in Cambridge, Massachusetts, discussing how effective hospital boards can make a difference. Mr. Conway, what are common areas for concern? I think the first area of concern, Susan, is transparency. Having the courage to not only talk about what the areas of strength are in an organization, but the areas that you're not doing so well. I think another one that we've already talked a little bit about is understanding the realities of practice in your own organization. As I walk into organizations and I ask them what the extent is of harm in their organization, how many patients die unnecessarily as a result of preventable harm, these are not conversations that Board of Trustees have had. A third one is education. How do we educate trustees to effectively fill their role. And the final one is the broad area of the media, the growing media interest, and how does a board of trustees, and this is very linked to the transparency, 
work effectively with the media as a major potential educator in the community to drive some of these issues forward versus how does it lead to front-page stories that could be extraordinarily challenging for the organization. Why is there a lack of awareness of quality and safety issues among hospital leadership? I think simply until 1996, we didn't talk about it. It's quite striking, Susan, that the first public meeting talking about medical errors in healthcare was only held 10 years ago. The only other exception to that is within anesthesia, but everywhere in healthcare, it was when Walter Annenberg gave a grant to bring a whole bunch of healthcare leaders to Palm Springs in 1996 that the light first was exposed on this. And then the Institute of Medicine in 1999 issued a report called To Err is Human, which really became for the whole industry, not only consumers, but for the whole industry, a wake-up call. What kind of progress has been made in the areas of safety and quality? I think the progress has been enormous. First and foremost, it's just simply the conversation. I've mentioned the Annenberg Conference in 1996, which was almost a secret. Now issues of quality, safety, and risk are publicly discussed within legislatures, within hospitals, within communities, within every publication ranging from Reader's Digest to Consumer Reports to every major media outlet. I think there's a lot of awareness, there's focus, there's energy in this area. We are seeing organizations that have been able to reduce mortality in their organizations by 20 and 30 percent over a small number of years. How do you respond to physicians who say standardized practices and mandatory process could be a threat to their autonomy? I think there is data in the country coming out of the Rand Institute and others that say evidence-based medicine is only practiced about 55% of the time. What we believe is where the science and evidence exist, it should be followed and it should guide practice. Where it doesn't, then that's an opportunity for the extraordinary richness of the clinical team to be an amazing gift to figure out what's going on with patients. I've been very struck working in pediatric cancer care that in pediatric cancer care, 90% of that care is delivered against protocols, is delivered against either evidence-based practice or evidence-based protocols that are being tested. In adult cancer care, that number could range from 10 to 20%. So we, as an industry, will be increasingly driven to follow the evidence where it exists. What is the best mix? Who should serve on a board? I think the board needs to have a range of capabilities. Certainly community leaders, people who understand the community are crucial members. I think people who understand finance. Financial resources are always a challenge in healthcare, so experts in finance, experts in investing belong in a board. I think often as you visit many boards, church leaders, religious leaders, uh, representatives of other faith-based organizations are on the board. And then I believe on the board should be people who are experts in quality and safety. Their expertise don't have to come from healthcare organizations. Within the board of a hospital in Seattle, 
one of the senior executives in quality and safety for Boeing sits on that board quality committee. Many hospital boards have experts in manufacturing who organizations have been recognized for following ISO standards, the Baldrige standards, those people have been invited in. So much like we talked in the beginning about the key priorities of boards, the board needs to be mission balanced and include people who understand mission, understand strategy, understand finance, understand human resources, understand the community, and understand issues of quality and safety and high reliability organizations. Mr. Conway, thank you so much for joining us to discuss how effective hospital boards of trustees can make a difference. Well, Susan, thank you very much. It was really an honor for IHI to be invited to participate in this call. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.